Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. I'm really, really excited for this conversation. I get to uh, speak with someone. I know you guys can't see it here on the on the audio version, but he's sitting with bright sunny skies and nice green trees behind him, and he's hanging out in the park while we're getting ready to prepare for a nice ice storm here in the uh, lovely state of Iowa. But outside of that, I'm really excited for this conversation talking about education as always, but now the latest things that are going on, generative AI, and a lot of you listening in are probably familiar now with chat GPT and other types of tools like that, but generative AI is much more than just that tool, um, even though that's the tool that's kind of taken the angle here. And this is definitely someone who um, I look forward to. I wake up every day and look to see what he's sharing, publishing, and, and one, of the, one of the voices, one of the leading voices, I believe, that, that's helping us wrap our head around this vastly rapid changing environment that's making a lot of us scratch our heads. And so I'm really excited for our guest today. Uh, Leon, thank you so much for joining. And for us to start off, let's just set the stage because I'm assuming a lot of people listening to the show haven't crossed your path before and they need to. So who are you? What do you do? You can also make sure you share where you're at since I was just describing the beautiful backdrop and uh, what in the world you got going on. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Aaron. It's um, great to be on the podcast. I have, I'm sitting at a park um, in Hamilton, Victoria, which is in Southwest Australia. Um, it's a, a lovely part of the world. I moved out here from the UK, so I'm familiar with ice and, and cold as well. Uh, but today it's about to hit uh, 100 degrees Fahrenheit, 37 degrees, and uh, it's, uh, it's a beautiful day. <laughs> I um, I have a I have an education background. Um, 15 years in secondary education in the English classroom, uh, head of English, director of learning and teaching, um, a school leader position, and just a whole bunch of um, jobs along the way, really. So my main interest was always English and English literature. But then at some point, I kind of veered off into digital technologies. And last year in November, I started a PhD in artificial intelligence and writing so bringing the digital back and the english teaching together and um yeah i started that PhD two weeks before chat gpt launched oh wow so uh, which is that uh, which is perfect timing you know it's uh, it's gotten a bit crazy since then and uh, all of a sudden the conversations that i was having with my advisor lieutenant mcknight uh, we were talking about gpt2 and gpt3 and potential impact um, particularly at a tertiary level but also in secondary education uh, and then almost overnight in, in November, December, the whole world uh, started to get their head around generative AI and, uh, and artificial intelligence. So it's a great time to be starting research. <laughs> it is absolutely. And so I, I find that I find that interesting. So you you were you were starting as PhD before um, Chat GPT started to take over social media, the news, and everything going on. Um, and so I think it's always good to. Um, I always share this, like this idea of art artificial intelligence is not a new concept to the world. It's been around for a while. It's just that chat GPT, I feel, has really just kind of brought it to light to the masses um, just by by what it's able to do. And so before we dive into that, I am curious. So 
prior to declaring your your PhD in this field and not seeing Chat GPT um, kind of make the world unravel itself here a little bit, what was your interest or or intrigue to to go into that field? Um, and then and then obviously now it seems like a, a dumb question to ask because that's what everybody's looking into, but you didn't necessarily know that that was going to happen. So what what were you thinking going into to this for your PhD? Yeah, it was it was really interesting actually. I um I decided in in term two in uh, which is May last year, twenty twenty two, that I was going to wrap up my secondary teaching and my school leadership position. Um, and some of that was just based on my experience during remote learning when we had COVID. Um, during remote learning, you know, working from home, working from the farm where I live, uh, worked really well for me in particular. And I started to really dig into a few other areas that I was interested in. So, you know, I did my Google certified educator and then the trainer um, certification. I did some Microsoft Innovative Educator program. Um, I also, I'm on the board for a couple of not-for-profit young change agents and reframing autism. And um, and that kind of opened me up a little bit to, uh, to, to a few bigger picture things around um, strategy and uh, Kind of, kind of really top level, kind of boardroom level thing. So I was already, uh, I was looking out for the next step. Uh, I handed in my notes, and, and then two weeks later, Lucinda, my PhD supervisor, actually called me, and uh, we spoke about this opportunity for a scholarship. And uh, I'd been in the the Victorian Association for the Teaching of English Council for a couple of years prior to that, and that's where Lucinda and I had crossed paths. And this research project was really around helping English teachers specifically to get their heads around digital tech. Um, but we certainly knew that, you know, I had an interest in digital, um, in some of the things that I was putting out there. I knew that Lucinda was working on this digital tech, but that project initially was that digital tech really broadly. So like blog, blogs, uh, TikTok, social media in the English classroom. And it was only really starting to shift towards AI because of the kind of work that Lucinda had been doing. Um, so, you know, even as early as 2021, she wrote an article in, in conversation online, uh, expressing her thoughts about how students might be using these technologies to write essays. And that was back when it was GPT-2. Mm. So she was really, really ahead of the curve there. And, um, and Lucinda introduced me to a lot of, a lot of these technologies. And then on the run up to, uh, to the end of last year, I, I've been playing around in the open API, at the open AI API playground, uh, you know, using GPT and things like that, and also playing around with some of the apps built on top of GPT, like Jasper and Copy AI and Write Sonic and some of those things. Um, so yeah, I'd really just been uh, dipping my toes into the water, and then um, as soon as Chat GPT launched, I think I've been, I'd confidently say I've used it daily since then, except for when we had outages, <laughs> um, and and using it for all kinds of things, really trying to test what it. What it's good for, and what it's not good for, or what the limitations are. So, yeah, it's uh, it was a a sharp and sudden curve, I guess, from digital technologies broadly into AI. Yeah, and so I I find your perspective and your work so fascinating, and in the sense that I think like right now in the immediate kind of short term fear, there's probably the biggest fear is coming out of I would say secondary. English language art educators whose whole entire kind of curriculum syllabi platform is on reading and writing. And now what do we do? This fear of plagiarism and cheating and, and this 
kind of concept is nothing new. The AI is now, I think, ramping that up as people are starting to think about it because they may not necessarily have a tangible solution um, to how to deal with it. And so I, I, I like your perspective because you're you're right at the core where I think like the first initial kind of set of panic kicks in before it kind of cascades to like, oh my gosh, this impacts me as a social studies teacher, as a history teacher, as this, and then it's, it just kind of works its way down. And I'm, I'm speaking generally, that's not the case for everyone. I'm just trying to watch how the, the landscape kind of plays out and then kind of be like, who gets hit the hardest, what they think gets hit the hardest, and then how does it kind of, the ripple down effect. So from your angle, and I mean, a lot of this stuff is, is still early ages, you know, why, should we be alarmed? Should we not be alarmed? Should we be like, how do we start to help educators process through some of this? Not to say the whole topic of plagiarism, but it just feels like either you, you know, nothing, and then you find out these things exist. And then you hit this moment of panic and you feel like you're drinking from the fire hose. There's just so much out there. Once you start to uncover it, you know, how do you go about helping educators thinking through like the baby step process of like, not losing your mind, but realizing how you can still teach and, and be, you know, work in tangent in parallel with these tools because they're not going anywhere. The disruption has already happened. Um, mm-hmm. So any any kind of thoughts? I mean, I know you, you speak to that a lot in your work. And so I know the obvious answer would be like, just go check out his stuff because you've got plenty of it there. But for those that haven't come across it before, you know, what would you say? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm a prolific writer and I'm always blogging and about that so um look for me uh probably two things that touch on what you just said first of all is that i think english teachers in particular are really well placed to uh to inherit the ai kingdom um you know we language is what we do and this new round of artificial intelligence is built on language model whether we're talking um image generation or, or text generation or text video all of these things um you know that they're, they're language tool so I think we're really well placed there. Um, the second point is that I think the the cheating and plagiarism narrative is in the distraction. Um, you know, I think it's, a, it's an obvious uh, place to go, particularly from higher education, where perhaps the assessments are, are you know, they're high stakes. There's money involved. There's a lot of credibility and accountability involved in higher education that's maybe lacking in a secondary context. Um, not that assessments in secondary should be lower stake, but you know, I think that's often a, a part of that now piece of that puzzle. But I think that the, the cheating narrative is a, is a distraction. I think where I've spoken to actual people, actual students, that that discourse around cheating is much less than it is when we, you know, there was that really, um, you know, that famous now uh, article that went viral from the Atlantic around the, the end of the high school classroom or the end right. of high school English or everybody read and we've seen lots of essays on the depth of the college essay and you know i think to an extent some of that's true and some of it was necessary you know we've got out these little sample methods we've got things that need to change anyway so so this can this can be a good thing um but i don't think it's going to kill writing you know the the, pu- the purpose of writing or the point of writing isn't to meet the outcomes of an assessment the point of writing is to develop ideas not just demonstrate knowledge so because i work with a lot of english teachers you know there's thousands of english teachers in the victorian association um, in this day 
for the most part, they're not worried about cheating and plagiarism. They're worried about uh, finding ways to work with these tools, finding opportunities where these tools um, aren't appropriate and where we do go to, you know, sort of traditional methods of teaching writing, but they're, they're creative and they're curious. Um, so they're not too worried about the cheating and I actually think that the whole cheating plagiarism narrative as well also is distracting us from the bigger um, ethical concerns of AI, which um, I know you read some of my blog posts on the on the AI ethics side of things. I think there's much bigger problems with the, the technology and the industry and uh, just whether students are going to use it to teeth on politics. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. And I think that's a, an area that I feel like every time I... I, I go to explore, I'm adding like 10 more layers to my mind map of different variables to consider when it comes to ethics. And um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to touch on that, but I want to get back to what you were talking about. Cause I think you hit on something really important in terms of it being a distraction. And I haven't thought of it that way. And it makes a lot of sense. I've, I've thought of it and not that it's right, wrong or indifferent, but I like how you phrase it a lot better. Um, I see it as like, when we see with students, when we don't know what questions to ask, uh, we resort to just what we know. And so I think as, as these questions come up with cheating and plagiarism, one of the first things I like to ask people is, have you actually used the tools? And a lot of times the answer is, no, we haven't. I've, I've read something, I've seen something, someone posts something, you know, it's, it's something along those lines. And so it's like, well, let's, let's explore the tools and start to think about applications and come back to that question. Cause a lot of times I don't really think that's the question that they, they want to ask. I think the question is what you were just saying, how do we work within the ecosystem? But to not have the the capacity, not that they're not capable of this cause they haven't used it to or experimented with it. The only question they think is, well, how do we keep kids from from cheating? And so I think there's like that, that lack of knowledge that you kind of got to build in through like, hmm. how do we get them to experiment a little bit to understand the tools and then I think there's another layer in there too that, you know, for for some, it does challenge their, I don't know where I said, I, I keep going back and forth on this, where I don't know if it challenges their philosophy or if it challenges their implementation of their philosophy, where, you know, how well are we involved in the process and, and working with kids along the way, or are we just having them turn in stuff and then being upset that maybe a kid could do that in 30 seconds versus where are our checkpoints? How are we having conversations? Where is the discussion? Where are these things that we know yeah. work? And so, um, you know, I'm just kind of word vomiting here a little bit on that because I find it fascinating. I, I, I like the way you frame that, but that's, you know, where I've been spinning in my head, but I like that, that how, how you kind of sum that up there. Yeah, look, it's, it's definitely, um, it's a challenge to the, to the status quo. I think the state of quo in a lot of cases, it didn't right. And that's not um, through the fault of, of teachers. You know, there's, there's a lot of, and it would be the same in Australia as it is in the States um, and in the UK, where I thought previously, where there's, there's so many administrative and um, pressures from standardization, pressures from examinations and high stakes exams to, you know, get through content and to deliver content to a class of, you know, maybe 25 plus students. And when you're trying to do that on a, on a rolling basis, you know, in Australia, we might have six, um, 50 minute periods in a teaching day, perhaps, and a teacher on a full-time teaching load, uh, going to go through six different classes, uh, you know, over 120, 130 kids in a day. And, and the, the pressures to 
uh, to differentiate for each student or to tailor the curriculum to each student um, means that we have to we have to deliver. We have to uh, often kind of um, do that kind of more didactic method of teaching and assessments, and that's just not going to work anymore with these technologies. So I think it's um, yeah, it's a definite challenge to that data spot, which uh, which hopefully will end up being a good thing. It will. It will. You know, and you talked earlier too about there's bigger issues that we should be perhaps having conversations around, you know, before we think about the idea of plagiarism and cheating and, um, you know, and we get into that, that ethics field and, and while there's, gosh, there's a whole range of things to consider uh, when we think about the ethics, I think about an article I read about, you know, what, what they're paying people to kind of scrub the AI, so to speak, to figure out what it's saying and clean it up. And then I will sit there and read another article about, well, you know, maybe that isn't such bad pay where they are. And then I'm like, oh, and then there's the ethics of the data set itself. There's there's so many different layers to when we think about ethics. And so where, where, where's your your headspace at currently when it comes to ethics? I've read a lot of your a lot of your work. Um, and I think it's, you know, for all of us, we're constantly learning and adapting to things. But it, as people are thinking about exploring these tools or thinking about what it means for themselves and their school and their district and their, not just education, I think their whole personal and social lives and everything. It's not just an education issue. This is something that's going to be everywhere. You know, where are you grappling some of your, your, your current thinking with that topic of ethics that can mean a whole lot of things? <laughs> yeah. It's uh, like, I feel like I'm, I'm standing on, on shifting sands. Um, no, I, when I started this research in November, uh, I didn't want to be too optimistic about the technology because I think that normally leads us down a down a pathway. You know, ed tech um, isn't great. Uh, experiences with lots of different kinds of ed tech in the classroom, and often it doesn't it doesn't really deliver. So I kind of you know I wanted to, I want to approach this from that kind of slightly cynical uh, you know kind of critical position anyway. But then um, the more I dug into the ethical concerns. Uh, the the kind of the darker it gets, and and it's a really problematic technology and a problematic industry that's built on a lot of um, a lot of flawed practices. So I mean, I started with Kate Crawford's uh, book Atlas of AI, which is you know for any of your listeners, that is I I've, I've got that now in you know physical ebook audiobook. <laughs> I think I've listened <laughs> to it twice. Uh, it's a fantastic introduction to some of the really the more complex ethical issues. Uh, you know, you mentioned the human labor and the, the labeling of data and the, the underpaid workers via OpenAI that was in in, in the Time article. But there's also uh, that that kind of approach in technologies like Amazon's Alexa, Alexa and the Mechanical Turk program. Um, but for me, one of the most, most pressing ethical concerns that I'm looking into at the moment is the way that AI large language models. They, they encode a certain world worldview, so they, you know, because they're, they're built on a static data set that doesn't change and, and never, uh, never really goes anywhere. You know, it's the, it's the history of the internet. It's the it's the common crawl and all of that data that's straight. Um, and and there's a lot of, um, you know, very gendered, very heteronormative, very white, very Western, very male worldview that's now baked into those language models, and that's that's not going to go anywhere. You know, they can, they can layer additional viewpoints, um, and perspectives on top of that. 
but we're only going to be building now on top of these existing models. You know, they've, they've taken so much data and so much energy and so much money to build that nobody's going to bother building a new one from scratch. Right. And where would they find the data anyway? So, so whatever we now build um, on top of these large language models is built on uh, in a troubling foundation. So I think we've got to be, from an ethical standpoint, that's, that, that's probably my primary concern is how do we tackle the fact that these language models are built on such a an inherently flawed problematic data set? So how do you do that? How does that we what's that mean? It's probably the million dollar question, but I'm sitting there as you're talking, I'm um, I'm agreeing. I did a a sample test run about top fifty most successful people and it's all primarily white males. I think Elon Musk was actually listed three times in the set of fifty and I was using it as a way to provoke critical thinking and synthesis and analysis on how would we, you know, in a classroom define success, what's our own success criteria, and then does that align with the list and who are these people and all that kind of thing. And you're talking here about that about that topic and I'm sitting there going, yeah, but we have people that don't even understand, one, that these tools exist. Uh, two, if they do have them, they've barely scratched the surface on how to even use them properly, you know, so how do we help bring some awareness to the very foundation that you talked about, that there is this, this biased data set? I don't, I don't think people are like oblivious to that, but I mean, I think in the sense to like understand what that truly means with the notion of these tools are not going to stop being used. They're only going to become more powerful and we're going to see them in more ways. And so how do we process that ethical piece with they're not going away to try to do some good? Then I mean, obviously you figure that out, then you, you'll, you'll be set for life. But, uh, I, I'm just curious, you know, as, as you're working through this, any thoughts to that? Not, not to really put you on the spot, even though I just did. <laughs> uh, well, look, I, I mean, I have, I have, obviously I am thinking about this sort of constantly, but, um, I, because for me, I, I want speakers to be using the technology. But I also want there to be awareness of the problems with the technology. And I think that's the only way around this. We've got to be kind of creative and kind of critical. Um, we, we can't afford to have educators and students in classrooms using these technologies uncritically. You know, we can't afford to have them just kind of picking them up because, uh, you know, they're, they're a shiny new thing or because somebody's told them this, this is really great technology or whatever. Which means I think we've got to have a system-wide approach. We've got to go from the kind of the bottom up and the top down in making sure that there are resources available for educators um, around educating the educators on the applicabilities, so then they can have those informed conversations with students. And then really, I guess my, my ultimate point there is that these students in these classrooms are going to be the next generation of developers and CEOs and the people who are using and creating these technologies. And, uh, you know, I don't want to put too much burden on them, but maybe they'll do a better job than our generation did. Because, I mean, I read something this morning of uh, Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, has been lobbying since 2015 for greater regulation around um, releasing AI models. And yet, you know, he's a CEO of the company which which literally dropped the AI bomb uh, in November <laughs> last year with, with no regard for uh, the ethical considerations or the ramifications or, or how that was going to affect. You know, it was a real... Silicon Valley, uh, you know, right. fast and break things kind of approach. 
And yet this is a guy who has also been very openly lobbying for more regulation. So how do we balance all of those tensions? You know, how do we balance the, the, the speed and the rapid pace and the excitement and the, and the positive side of these technologies with those ethical concerns? And I think, yeah, in education, we have to just come at it from as many angles as possible. No, I like that. And, you know, it gets me, you know, so as you're working with, with, with all these educators, you know, what is the, the conversations that they're having? What are the, I mean, what are the other questions that, that they're grappling with? We've talked about ethics. We talked about the plagiarism and cheating. And I think there's just a lot there to process in and of itself. But, you know, you, you've also got that, that, that viewpoint of, you know, your, your experience and now working with, with lots of educators in these fields, trying to make sense of it, you know, what are other things that, that they're considering talking about just so, you know, people who are listening into this and trying to figure out the landscape itself of, of what other teachers are grappling with. So they realize one, they're not alone or two are like, who didn't even think about that because I, you know, there's, there, there's all types. There's those that are the go-getters as yeah. Ooh, it's shiny. It's new. Let's just, let's just dive in and, and go. And, and like you said, not consider some of the ethical stuff. There's the complete flip side of, you know, I, I'm, I'm not going to do anything. I'm, I'm just going to stick to what I've always done. And then you got everybody in between. So I, I, I just, I didn't know if, you know, as you're having those, those dialogues, mm. you know, what are other things that educators are going, I have questions around this. Yeah. I think everybody's got so many questions, um, which is, which is great. I mean, um, I mentioned earlier, I think it was before we started recording that I've spoken to people who've done more PD in the last few months than they've done in the last two years, sure. uh, doing, doing that, that amount of professional development in anything we've done in, in great sync. I think that school leaders and administration have a responsibility to control some of the heavy lifting with the accountability, the transparency, some of the ethical processes, um, making sure that people have access to professional learning. So I think that's, um, you know, some of that responsibility has to fall school leadership. But classroom teachers don't have time to be doing that and planning their own lessons and preparing other resources and trying to teach the curriculum and assessing and doing all of the other things that exist. Um, and then I think, you know, people, people like me, academics, um, consultants, freelancers, professional development providers, it's our responsibility to be churning things out and, and making things accessible, um, making sure that there is, uh, but also, you know, like a, like a clarity of purpose around that. So. Yeah, I, I'm, I use LinkedIn as my main social media, and this I do much um, volume of stuff on ChatGPT, uh, for example, on social media. But a lot of it just fairly surface level marketing stuff. Right. So I think some of us have to be responsible for uh, for taking the professional development and taking the resources that are out there and packaging that up in a way which is easy for teachers to access, but which also um, you know, gives a little clarity and gives them a bit of confidence around how they work in it. And I guess the last point is the one. This technology, they apply in every single area of the curriculum. So English is my speciality, obviously, um, but I've taught in a few other curriculum areas and I can see how this applies it. History, geography, science. So it'd just be great to start seeing some kind of subject visible champions uh, pop up in these areas. So like, you know, who's the science teacher that you go to talk to about AI or, or who's the history teacher who knows everything about AI? Who's the geography teacher who can tell you how AI tools are really great in the geography classroom? 
So, uh, you know, how do we find this? Raise up those, those subject areas. Yeah, I love that. Then I also, it gets me thinking too about, it's also a topic that can connect educators who maybe have never thought about having something similar to somebody else. You know, a lot of times we, we tend to stay within our domain or our grade level team to that sort of thing. And, and here's this topic, you know, you may not, maybe it's not chat GPT, but these conversations around AI, um, are universal K-12 and higher ed. And so now we now have maybe an opportunity for some common learning, not just AI specific, but about teaching practices. And again, like I, you know, I often joke, but I, I don't joke about it, but I'm like, how is it that elementary classrooms are like wizards where they have station rotations and kids are independent and they just, they do all these things. And then they get to like junior high and high school and they, they can't function if it's not a whole group. And so, you know, I mean, I say that tongue in cheek, but like there's, there's, I see as a potential opportunity for so many amazing teacher practices that are happening that maybe we don't always get a chance to connect, but here's this common this common topic that, that could bridge us to, to do some of that. And so, um, it's a really, yeah, really, really, really great point. And so, um, you know, as we come to a close here and being respectful of your time and letting you enjoy your day and that wonderful sunshine that I'm not at all jealous of, you know, are there any, um, other thoughts? I mean, we could talk for forever. I mean, I would love to dive into all your content, but people just need to go find your stuff and read it. But are there any final thoughts? or idea that you didn't get a chance to share that you really, really want to make sure you, you get a chance to, uh, to share with the listeners today. Yeah. Like, I mean, we spoke a lot about AI and, and some of those concerns, um, that so much ground to cover that, but I think it's really important to, uh, to do a bit of reading or a bit of uh, training for yourself. So I, I'm going to be running a session in March, desperately trying to buy the type of work in Australia, <laughs> Iowa, California, New Zealand. Um, we've got several time zones in Australia, like you guys do too. But that's uh, it's tricky. But it will be at the end of March, and that'll be a free webinar on ethics. Because um, I think that's that's for me that's the big ticket item. You know, if we teachers can get their heads around the ethics, then we then we can start to take some control of the technology, and we can use it in a way which is appropriate and, and responsible and creative. Um, and I think that that's really the position that educators need to be in as these technologies come into our classrooms. No, I love that. And I think that's a, a good idea there to, to end on. We'll definitely make sure that when that information is available, I'll definitely share that out for, for those in my circles to connect with. And I'll get links in the show notes to all the socials and stuff. But if people, I always say, you know, if they're at a red light and don't have access to the show notes and all that good stuff, if they, if they want to learn more about you, you know, what are, where are some of the best places to uh, follow your work and, and learn from you? I know LinkedIn for me is my bread and butter to check in and see what you got going on on the daily, but um, you know, where else can, can people find you? Uh, yeah, so you'll find me on LinkedIn. Um, I am on Twitter at Alphurs. Um, and my, my main place is my website, which is leonfurs.com, L-E-O-N-F-U-R-Z.com where I have my mailing list, uh, my blog, and also where I run some of my, uh, my other Perfect. Yeah. And that, that mailing list is definitely one that I recommend everybody join on and, uh, get that stuff going in your inbox. And we'll put links to 
uh, you know, Atlas of the of AI by Kate Crawford. I've I know I've I'm starting to read that. I've heard you mention it several times, not just in this conversation and others. And so it's 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 good to you start to hear some some similar titles pop up here and there. You know the good ones because there's a lot out there. But like you said, there's there's also not just in books but everything else. There can there's a lot of fluff of trying to make a quick buck. So I know I'm I just started diving into that one um, just the other day. So we'll get all those links there in the show notes and so. Leon, I can't uh, thank you enough. This has truly been an honor uh, if I finally get to talk to you virtually face-to-face here. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's been a pleasure to uh, chat with one of the people that are helping me wrap my head around things. So I appreciate you carving out time to uh, connect with me today. Well, it's a lot about all the I hope you don't get too rusty uh, in that icon. Oh, no, we won't. We won't. We're all good. Spoke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee worlds, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Hey, 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 chaos.